0: Welcome to it. It's episode 71 of the Planet LP podcast. Hi, and thanks for listening. I'm Ted Aswagadu. Decades ago, I remember talking to my wife's cousins. They are about a decade or so younger than I am, and my wife as well. Now, at the time, this is around 1990, Guns N' Roses did a cover of Paul McCartney's Live and Let Die. I told my wife's cousins that the song was originally done by McCartney, but... They Didn't Quite Believe Me. The same was said for Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor. Now, for those in the know, they know that Prince actually wrote that tune. And I talked to the cousins again. I said, you know the song Nothing Compares to You? And they were like, yeah, that's a great song. I said it was actually written by Prince. Again, they didn't believe me. And yet there was another cover that was somewhat popular at the time. Billy Idol had done a cover of L.A. Woman in 1990 by The Doors. And the cousins didn't know that one either. And when I told them, I said, you know, this song was actually done by a group called The Doors. They thought it wasn't a real band who would name themselves after Doors after all. But that's the thing about cover songs. Sometimes we're absolutely oblivious that a song that's popular was actually recorded before and sometimes was popular in its own right. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about cover songs with my guest, Michael Magali, For those who are longtime listeners to the Planet LP podcast, you'll recognize Michael's name as he's been on multiple times. If you want to get in touch with me to suggest episode ideas or are in a band, you're an artist or an author who has music or books about music, and you'd like to talk to me about Those projects, email me at ted at planetlp.com. Social media, we're on Groupie, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Planet LP. And if you have a fellow music fan in your life who's looking for a podcast like this one, please let them know about Planet LP. We're on all the major podcasting apps. Or if you're a non-podcasting app person, you can just listen to any episode on our website. That's at planetlp.com. Dot com. Okay, that'll conclude the business part of the agenda. Now, on to the good stuff. Michael Magali, welcome back to the Planet LP Head. Oh, it's
1: so cool to be back with you. I think this is number 12. Episode 12 episodes worth on the Planet LP with you, sir. And it's always great to be with you.
0: Pleasure to have you on. Michael and I used to work together as reporters at iHeartMedia for a lot of years. Obviously, we still stay in touch and talk about music. Michael had the idea of doing this episode about cover songs. So with that, we have this conversation kind of segmented out with the final segment, spotlighting our top 10 cover songs we like. As much or better than the original. So to kickstart the conversation in section one, let's start with the question. Why do artists and bands cover music by others? So, Michael, take a stab at that. Why do you think that? Well,
1: Ted, that is a very interesting question. Um, I would say there's two ways to look at it. A, Mm -hmm. a band or artist has mad respect for you know, one of their mentors, a a band they were inspired Mm -hmm. by when they were first pulling it together. And so they're paying homage to that artist. Um, I think a great example would be, say, um, the Rolling Stones, before they started writing original stuff around 65, 66, they were doing covers, right? They put their name on the map with covers. And um, when they did not fade away, when they were, you know, covering the great Buddy Holly, who had passed away just you know, four or five years earlier, tragically, um, you know, it's it's showing respect, but it turned out to be a big hit for the Stones, and especially here in the United States. So I I think it's it's showing respect. I I would cite um, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. You know, I'm a big TP guy. They're a great cover band. You are and, indeed. And they cover everything, and it's songs that are interesting to them. You know, they are great musicians mm-hmm. and they make these songs sound great. Um, I would say the other way to look at it is, you know, a, a band that really likes a song, but they're not necessarily playing it the way you would expect the same rhythm or tempo or melody. They take that song and they just completely turn it sideways. They they flip it around. They turn it inside out and they make it their own song in their own style. I love that. So, I mean, I think it's two different ways really to approach it. I think you would have to talk to individual bands, like what were their influences and, you know, what prompted them to do mm-hmm. a cover? You know, it's really cool to see a band. Doing their live set, you know, doing new material or whatever, and then for fun, maybe in the encore, they'll they'll drop in a, a really cool cover song that everybody knows and everybody can get up and sing and and dance around.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think that two schools of thought that people cover music as an homage, and sometimes they cover a song to make it their own. And I'm I'm thinking about those artists that put like this real individual stamp on, yeah. on a cover song almost becomes like jazz because at some point during that cover, it's not recognizable right. from the original. And then sometimes an artist will bring it back to that original theme or melody and the the more familiar terrain. I love when yes. bands do that, when they just go off on these tangents and it's like, I don't know where they're going with this, but sure is exciting. But when when somebody does like a very standard cover, I often wonder like, what's the point of this? Like, why are you? And I'm thinking of a band Mm -hmm. like Faith No More. I really like their song "Epic," but then they covered "Easy" by the Commodores, and they did almost a note for note version of it. It sounded very much like the original, except before the lead break comes on, you know, Lionel Richie will go ooh, banana. But the Faith No More version, the the singer does it a little bit different, does the ooh a little bit different? It's kind of like ew. (laughs) (laughs) So that made me laugh. When the first time I heard it, I thought that was pretty funny. But again, people that do note-for-note covers, like they sound very much like the original. I often wonder, like, why you I mean, I I get it, like you this was music that you really, really like, but why do it exactly? like the original artist or the original recording. I guess that's just an individual aesthetic taste or or choice that they make.
1: You know, as far as looking Mm -hmm. at a a jazz song where you've got the the basic melody, let's take John Coltrane, for example, the great, Mm -hmm. great version of Favorite Things. These are a few of my favorite things. You know, there's that melody that everybody knows. And then as jazz musicians, and especially a guy like Coltrane and his style, they will just go in a completely different direction. They will jam it out, right? Everybody does their solos, and then they'll come back to that melody. Sometimes I think it's interesting to hear a song where you're familiar with the original, and say it's a male singer, Mm -hmm. and then you hear a woman singing the song, for example. I was cracking up in your intro, trying to explain to your cousins, yeah, no, this song was done years ago. That was me, okay? I was that knucklehead where I thought I thought these were the originals and then it would be someone like my mom or my uncle or, you know, one of my uh, one of my older friends, you know, one of my friend's older brothers or yeah. something going, um, no, that song was done by so and so years ago. I mean, there's so many examples like, you know, I was listening to Creedence Clearwater sure. before I was listening to Motown. Like I was introduced to Proud mm-hmm. Mary and heard it through the grapevine way before Ike and Tina or the big chill soundtrack, which is, I think, the first time I heard Motown <laughs> tunes. Um, I Shot the Sheriff by Clapton was another one. Uh, Sant- Santana. Right. They do a brilliant cover of She's Not There by the Zombies and also uh, Well All Right, mm-hmm. another Buddy Holly. And uh, another one that was big for me. We talked about Manford Man because I, I heard that blinded by the light. On on rock radio, AOR radio, before I heard right, Springsteen we, and Greetings
0: from Ashbury Park. We were actually talking about that off yeah. mic. So, for the listeners who are like, wait, <laughs> when, when did you mention Manfred Man? It was <laughs> before we started oh, recording. Okay. And,
1: um, and the other one was, um, was Van Halen. You know, I heard these songs originally before I heard the covers or the originals. I'm sorry, um, mm-hmm. Pretty Woman. And the other one was, of course, The Kinks, You Really Got Me, and Where Have All the Good Times Gone was another one, and All Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix. There, there's so many that, well, you know, they almost take on a life of their own, and you could say are even more popular, more well-known than the original versions, and you talked about Prince, you know, songs that he wrote and recorded, but obviously were much bigger hits with other artists, like Sinead O'Connor, uh, Manic Monday was another one.
0: Sure, Bangles. Definitely. And then almost everything by the time, because (laughs) Prince was the one who who wrote all those songs, produced it, all of that. So without Prince, the time would would not be. But I wanted to uh, dig into a little bit of some controversy over the term cover. And this comes from an unlikely source, I guess unlikely, but it's Don McLean, who is best known for the song American Pie. On his website, and I found this on the Wayback Machine on the internet, so I don't think his website actually exists anymore, but he wrote a statement back in 2004, August 26, 2004, where he talks about the misuse or the incorrect use of the term cover. So I'll, I'll read what he said here. The word cover is now used by music writers and music fans incorrectly. They use it to describe any attempt by an artist to perform old songs or previously recorded material. The use of this term gives them a bit of authority since it makes them sound like they're in the music business. They are, in fact, ignorant of what a cover version of a song is really is. Back in the days of black radio stations and white radio stations, i.e. segregation, if a black act had a hot record, the white kids would find out and want to hear it on their radio station. This would prompt the record company to bring in a white act to the recording studio and cut an exact but white version of the song to give the white radio stations to play and thus keep the black act where it belonged on black radio. A cover version of a song is not a racist tool. Many examples can be found from Shaboom to Good Lovin'. It is not a term intended to be used to describe a valid interpretation of an old song. In that case, every pop singer is nothing more than a cover artist. A derogatory description, if ever, there was one. I am not a cover artist, and I do not do covers. The crew cuts were cover artists. The term has morphed into its present misuse, and I suppose I'll not see this change anytime soon. But I do hope the readers of this website and fans who are kind enough to write concert reviews will not use this term. Madonna did not cover American Pie. She just sang an old song and made an old songwriter mighty happy. Thanks, Don McLean. Kind of an interesting take on the term cover. And you talked about Manfred Mann. He had done a cover of a Bruce Springsteen song, Blinded by the Light. And this came out in the mid-70s. I was probably, I think, around sixth grade when that came out. Loved the song. Absolutely loved it. I heard the Top 40 version, which was a very shortened version. And then on FM rock radio, they played the long-ass version, which I absolutely loved too because it was just so trippy and weird. Had no idea who Bruce (laughs) Springsteen was at the time. I was mostly in Kiss. But I found an interview that Manfred Mann had done on his YouTube channel where he talks about covering songs.
2: I don't like the word cover. And I don't think anybody remembers anymore where the word cover version came from. But it, it came from the fact that in the late 1950s, black artists used to do records. I think I've got this right. And sort of the white artists would then do an exact imitation of the record. And the other record would just disappear because the more famous person would do that i never really liked the word it just used to be a straight imitation. And then because I was well, one person was better known than the other. The original artist got lost. But I basically I do other people's material because I'm not a good songwriter. If I was a really good song. I mean, I'm not bad, but if I was really good, I wouldn't do that. I mean I would write my own songs, but I just figure out it's better to make a better record than to make uh, a Feeling Sorry for Myself record about my auntie's dog dying that's boring. And writing, it's because because I'm not good enough that I I do other people's songs. And I always try and make them very, very different to the originals. And that he does. He did do
0: a cover of The Police's Demolition Man in the 80s, which uh, it sounded very much like the original. But Manfred Mann, I think he's kind of in the Don McLean uh, (laughs) school of thought. Where he's talking about the, you know, the whole sort of derogatory or yeah. misuse of the term cover and that he doesn't like to use it. But I like the fact that he fessed up the, like, I'm not a good songwriter. I'm just not. I'm I'm fine, but I'm not great. So I'd rather cover other tunes or other artists and kind of make them my own, which he did. I mean, his band really did make Blind by the I Light his totally own. I totally
1: agree. A little bit of that in both examples is kind of get off my lawn.
0: Maybe a little bit,
1: um, but yeah, I bit, yeah. I appreciate any artist that has respect for another artist that they're willing to to go out there and take that gamble with a song that it, that is beloved. But mm-hmm. you know, as far as making songs ar- original in their own style, I think there's some really good examples of that. I I have some here, Higher Ground is a great Stevie Wonder song. The Red Hot Chili Peppers take that tune and they supercharge it, right? They make that their own kind of version and their style. Another band that maybe isn't as well known, but they're probably maybe best known for covering Mrs. Robinson, the Lemonheads, kind of thrash version. Paul Anka did a cover album in 2005, big band guy swinging style Mm -hmm. right but paul anka does this album it's called rock swings and he takes all of these classic tunes that you know and he makes them big band songs eye of the tiger by survivor black hole (laughs) sun sound garden uh my favorite smells like teen spirit by nirvana true spandau ballet he does van halen's jump and he does eyes without a face So, I mean, you know, Nirvana, right? I mean, kind of dark and brooding and you know how that song goes. It's like load up on guns, bring your friends. It's fun to lose and to protect. Right. So imagine Paul Anka load up on guns, bring your friends. It's fun to lose. It's like this whole different deal. Right. (laughs) And it's, and he's like, hello 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 and then the horn section answers him and i mean it's just this he just completely changes the whole song so the interpretation to me is is the the biggest most interesting part of it and if the song sounds a lot like the original so be it it's you know it's it's a different look it might be an acoustic song that you know, blows up as an electric song, or the other way around. It's a song you know well that that's uh, stripped down to its bare essentials.
0: When you told me about the Paul Anker yeah. album, he had another one in two thousand seven that was very similar, and where he covered songs like "Time After Time" by Cyndi Lauper and "Ordinary World" by Duran Duran. He also did um, "Mr. Brightside" by the Killers. So I, was, <laughs> I was playing that this morning just to listen yeah. to it, and. My daughter was cracking up because she really likes The Killers, especially that first album Hot Fuss. And I was I was saying, you know, anyway, when you were just a baby, I had this idea in my head of a lounge singer, Atlantic City Vegas, Reno, it yeah. didn't really matter. They would be just doing these sort of deep rock covers or even popular rock covers in a very loungy way, but there was no sort of cynicism or winky winky irony or anything like that. This person just comes in, sings the songs, and then it would appeal to, and I was at the time, my age group, and I thought people would show up and they would just sort of cool their heels in a lounge and they'd start hearing like, like suddenly this guy's belting out the Trees by Rush <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> I would not expect that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all the unexpected things. It's like, wait, is he singing a Rush tune? It was done very straight. So when I heard the Paul Anka songs, I thought, that was my idea right there. That was the idea. So somebody else had it too. Do cover songs act as gateways to another artist's catalog, oftentimes they will. I mean, we kind of previewed that and how both of us had heard perhaps a cover song and then went back and thought, oh, I kind of dig the original. But Michael, you you really kind of went back to the source after hearing cover versions of songs that are done by what are now classic rock acts. So you have some good examples of, from, from the classic rock era to then going back to the blues. Yeah,
1: totally. Um, You know, we did a previous show about uh, mixtapes, remember? And we were talking about um, our Mm -hmm. experiences of the radio and, you know, the, the classic AOR format. And for me, it was KZAP in Sacramento, the great KZAP when I was in college. So I was, you know, picking up on a lot of these songs and a lot of these bands at the time, and I really didn't give much thought who originally did these songs, you know, as I was learning more Mm -hmm. about cover songs, you know, where at first it's a slap on the wrist, a minor admonishment from an elder, no, (laughs) that is a cover song. And then they try to (laughs) explain to you the background of who that artist may be. So, you know, when I'm just wading into this stuff as a, a late teen, I was lucky enough to get turned on to an album by the great Willie Dixon, um, which came out in 1970. It's called I Am the Blues, which, hey, that's a bit of self-confidence, yeah. right? Like, hey, man, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am right, the blues. Yeah. Don't F with me, right?
0: Did he tell how long he <laughs> exactly. that, too? <laughs> exactly. And, King and John Precisely. Walker. Okay. Just wanted to double check. Just want to double hey, check. Okay. Hey, there's
1: nothing wrong with a little swagger, right? So Willie yeah, exactly. um, re- released this album in 1970. So I took this home with me and, you know, I throw this thing on. I know every song. I know every single song. This guy wrote... All of these songs and really made a name for himself more as a writer, you know, writing for a howling wolf, like you said, um, you know, a song like Ain't Superstitious or Hoochie Coochie Man. Um, Mm -hmm. Later, of course, Rod Stewart and Jeff Beck, rest in peace, Jeff Beck, did a brilliant cover of Ain't Superstitious. So I'm listening to this and it's it's backdoor man doors. It's Little Red Rooster. There's another Howlin' Wolf (laughs) tune. The Stones do the great cover of that as well. You Shook Me by Zeppelin. I mean, I'm hearing these songs. It's just, it's blowing me away. Um, Spoonful by Cream. It's this bridge from, he's writing these songs. They're covered by contemporary artists at the time, say in the early 60s, if it's a Howlin' Wolf or a Muddy Waters. And then, you know, fast forward another decade or so, and then these songs are being covered you know, by some heavy hitters and the British invasion. So it was this amazing connect the dots moment for me. You can take that in all kinds of different directions if you start going back to the blues catalog and you start realizing, oh, I see where they got that song from. You know, and (laughs) and, and it was really for a lot of these artists when they were first making a name for themselves, talking about the Stones earlier and not fade away, they were just covering all of these songs until they could figure right. out how to write their own stuff.
0: It kind of dovetails into what Don McLean and mm-hmm. Manfred Mann were saying, which is you're basically doing what Cream, The Doors, Led Zeppelin, The Stones, what they're doing is they're basically doing white versions mm-hmm. of black music, uh, if you're looking at Don McLean. But if you are a band like the stones during that period. And you're listening to this music because this was the kind of music that you grew up on and you're listening to the actual blues that you are in a way paying homage to it. They're also looking at it in a very shrewd way. Like, Hey, American kids don't know this music anymore. They forgot about all this stuff or they never even were introduced to it. So let's ride this wave of doing kind of updated harder versions of blues songs that it work. It's it's a way to start the ball rolling on a career where eventually a band will find its voice and doesn't need to go back to those blues sources to directly rip off right. or cover. For example, you go to Led Zeppelin 3, that's a very different album from mm-hmm. the very first one. You go to later in the Stones catalog when they started to find their voice and mm-hmm. write their original music. Yeah, they're a totally different band. Same for the Beatles. Beatles covered songs. Uh, that was a big part of who they were because that's what got people dancing in the clubs. And so you had to you had to play songs that were popular and would get people to dance and hang out and drink and and come back next week and hear exactly. you again. Exactly. I mean, so that, yeah, that whole economics. Yeah, of Yeah.
1: I mean, exactly. So. I mean, that's how the Beatles really gained their footing before they could come up with original material. And I think it's a perfect bridge, mm-hmm. but it also opened the door. For a lot of those blues artists at the time that, you know, maybe they thought their era had kind of passed them by. And then suddenly, not only are they having interest in England, they're also opening for some of these big bands coming through. Bill Graham was famous for pairing up a classic rock or blues artist with a contemporary band that the kids wanted to see. But mm-hmm. here's B.B. King right. or Chuck Berry or Howlin' Wolf opening.
0: It reminds me a bit of when the band had done the last oh, waltz and they love were in San Francisco yeah. and mm-hmm. at Winterland. But Muddy Waters had come to town to play on this last waltz, and they didn't have any money to go and pick him up at the airport. They wanted to send a limo. At least Levon Helm said, hey, Muddy Waters is at SFO right now, and nobody's going to pick him <laughs> up. Who's going to pick him up? And they're all like who's got to find his own oh, way here they had spent money to bring freaking Neil Diamond over to mm-hmm. the venue, you know, transportation costs. And Bill Graham said, we don't have any more money in the budget to bo- go pick up uh, Muddy Waters. And Levon Helm says, that's bullshit. I'll get my truck right now and go pick him up because that's Muddy Waters, man. <laughs> oh so, man. He, 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 Apparently he did. He went out and he picked him up from SF. Oh, that is a great story. At least Levon Helm understood the importance of somebody like a Muddy Waters in the band's musical influences and to have somebody of that stature come in and not be able to pick them up. I mean, that is BS. Yeah, that's a good story.
1: I had not heard that one, but I mean, you look at just the embarrassment of riches for that last wall show. I mean, it was just all these people that showed up from Bob Dylan to Joni Mitchell to Van Morrison. I mean, the list is long.
0: I was going to talk about something that you were, well, not alluding to, but you went and explained very mm-hmm. in depth and appreciated about mm-hmm. uh, Willie Dixon and how, for example, when you heard Willie Dixon's music, you're like, oh my God, I've heard this in an amped up version of Led Zeppelin or the yeah, Stones yeah. or something like that. And it's really, really great to hear sort of the source material. And so that's an example of cover songs, ones that you didn't know were covers at the time, but it acted as a gateway into Willie Dixon's music. Now, like you, my career was in radio for the vast majority of my working life. And when I worked in adult contemporary radio, there was a band called Sixpence Pence and on the Richer. They did a cover of a song called There She Goes, kind of a hit in the 80s. And I remember hearing that uh-huh. on the air. And there was a radio, there was a modern rock radio station called The Quake, oh, yeah, I remember the Quake. in San Francisco. That I used to used to listen to a lot, and they would play that song. And so I had heard – I kind of grew up a little bit hearing that version. So flash forward to when Sixpence and The Richer decides to cover that – It becomes a hit for adult contemporary radio and probably pop radio as well. And it got some good VH1 airplay
1: on it. That was a big tune for them. Yeah.
0: It sure was. And they had another song called Kiss Me that did really well. But did that song, did that cover make me want to go back (laughs) and either listen to The Laws or check out Sixpence None the Richer's other songs? For Sixpence None the Richer, no. I could say the same with 10,000 Maniacs because they covered Because of the Night."
1: Yes. Patty Smith.
0: They did the Mm -hmm. Patti Smith version. That was the thing. The the Patti Smith version came out, I believe, in 78. The album was called Easter. Like you, I had musical influences, but this was actually a friend of mine who was a year younger than I was, who was my best friend at the time, and he had a copy of Easter. and and He had played Because the Night for Me, and he was really taken by the lyric – when Patti Smith, of course, Bruce Springsteen wrote it, he said, Love is a banquet on which we feed. And he says, man, that is just a deep <laughs> lyric. And that was the song that actually made me listen to the mm. lyrics more, mostly because of his enthusiasm for that particular song. Now, the rest of the album, Easter, is very different from the Bruce Springsteen cover, but she certainly had a hit, mm-hmm. if you will, with that version of the song. But I, again – I had no idea who Bruce wow. Springsteen
1: yeah. was. Yeah, at the at time. That time. Yeah.
0: yeah, and I'd heard the Manfred Mann version of "Blinded by the Light," loved it. No idea who Bruce <laughs> Springsteen was because of the night Patti Smith. So I thought that those were original songs, like you with Led Zeppelin or the Doors or Cream or or Rolling Stones, whoever. Same sort of thing. And then the the big reveal comes, like, oh no. <laughs> There's this other artist who had done it originally Uh, and wrote
1: it. Back earlier in the podcast, I had mentioned songs that I had heard first, and I didn't know Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. the original, or I just, you know, I knew this version of the song. So, but it in most cases, over the last however many decades, these versions of these songs made me interested in going back, hearing the original, and then learning a bit more about Mm -hmm. that artist. So just... Quickly through here, I mean, Proud Mary, that got me into Ike and Tina. Heard it through the grapevine, turned me more into Motown. I shot The Sheriff. Then I started to connect more to Bob Marley and Reggae. Uh, well, all right. Um, I didn't know a lot of Buddy Holly, but that really got me into Buddy Holly. Like, I love this pretty woman. I didn't know who Roy Orbison was. But then around that, not yeah. too long after, was uh, The Traveling willberries and then that helped me connect more to to Roy which i then got into and he mm-hmm. he sadly died very young around that time um and you really got me i knew the kinks um and then that made me dig a bit deeper into the kinks and then i discovered stop your sobbing which i didn't realize was a cover of by the pretenders <laughs> they're covering ray davies I mean, yeah I think I, so. like yeah. i had no idea yeah. and then uh, another big one for me i mentioned jimmy that led me to bob and the other one was um, "Unchain mm-hmm. My Heart." That kind of pointed me towards Ray Charles. So all of these songs, mm-hmm. in a way, you know, it it helped make that connection for me. But I would say, in a lot of these cases, I may prefer the the cover version. You know, no offense to the original, but there may just be elements of the right, cover right. or the way it's performed uh, better that I like.
0: Sure, and I prefer, like you, I prefer well. The cover for me, the cover mm-hmm. of Manfred Mann's Blinded by the Light. I prefer mm-hmm. that over Springsteen's. I prefer Patti Smith's cover mm-hmm. of Because of the Night over Springsteen's version. I'm a Springsteen fan like you, not as big, but certainly uh, big enough to where I, I tend to buy most of the stuff nice. that he releases. I know his versions, and I just, I guess, because of my age at the time, and I was really getting imprinted by music that was new to me. They imprinted on me in a way that I just prefer that more. And I was thinking about this in terms of a song that I want to spotlight. It's called Valerie. And it's originally done by a band, or a British band called the Zutons. The song came out in 2006-ish. And I was at a party, a birthday party, where a young woman, I think she was still a teenager at the time, but she was doing like an acoustic set, like background music. And she started singing the song Valerie. And after her, her set was over, I said, "How do you know the Zutons? I mean, you look like you're barely sixteen years old." She kind of laughs. She goes, "Who are the Zutons?" I said, "Well, you covered the song Valerie." <laughs> oh no, I, 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 it's it's by, by Amy Winehouse. I said, "Oh no, man!" <laughs> and doesn't that make
1: you feel old, right?
0: <laughs> so, it did. It sure did. So let me play a little bit of uh, the original. This is the Zutons, Valerie. like a very classic sound to it, you know, just got Go horns, section. great guitar rift on there. Excellent chorus. You could hear hit out of the box when you yeah. listen to that song. I mean, absolutely hit out of the box. I got this, the first time I heard it is, remember that Paste magazine? It was a music magazine that had a run maybe, probably started in the late 90s, but they used to include a CD in every issue. It was a mm-hmm. compilation CD. So I actually still have all my old Paste wow. magazine compilation CDs and the Zootons were on there. And I remember listening to like, wow, is this an old song? Because it sounds like an old song, doesn't it? It sounds like kind of an old Motown And song Winehouse does
1: the same thing in Back to Black. She incorporates yeah. a lot yeah. of that 60s style and sound with the horns. I mean, when I hear that... I mean I can see how that would be an influence on on her music as mm-hmm. well and I really appreciated that she respected like girl groups from the 60s if it was the Supremes or if it was the Ronettes or somebody like that but it was in that vein um that you know wall of sound big 60s mm-hmm. type of sound and production right. that became Very famous, obviously. I I loved that originality in the Amy Winehouse style that that drew me to her. And when I hear that version, that original version of Valerie, it makes me think of that same type of style.
0: Yeah. So Mark Ronson had done a album of covers where Amy Winehouse was a featured artist, and she did cover Valerie. So he had done an interview on how the song came together.
3: On this album of covers at the time, and I said to her, is there a song you want to sing? And she's like, well, I like this song, Valerie, which I had never even heard. So we just listened once. I wrote a chord chart. We got in with the band, and that wasn't actually the way that we recorded it. We recorded it, the original way we recorded it is much more of like a Curtis Mayfield soul-type record. Mm. And then we had done eight takes of that, and everyone's packing up their guitars. And at the last minute, I was kind of like, can we just do one with like the You Can't Hurry Love beat? Like, doon ga doon And 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 uh, so it was like one of those things that was kind of like lucky that we just like, as they're out the door, we cut it like that. My whole album version, the cover album, the concept was doing sort of soul reworkings of of guitar rock songs. And and Amy only really listens to like 60 soul girl groups and, and rap music. So I didn't even think that she would know a modern rock song to pick from. And she was like, well, I like this song Valerie by the Zootons. And the minute she started singing, it, you could just tell she'd sung it in the shower or like a thousand times. She just like first take rips into it. It's brilliant.
0: Okay, yeah, it is kind of brilliant the way she does it. Let me play a little clip from her version of it. It's a very different song. I mean, the other one's a little bit more rock soul bass, and this one definitely has a very soul groove to yeah. it. And
1: it's, I mean, uh, it what a, what a talent. It. If yeah. you first heard her and didn't know anything about her, you learn about the influences through her style. But if we saw a documentary about her years ago. And I mean, just mm-hmm. I mean, she I it was originally it was that jazz style that she had before Back to Black in the first album that she did. She was a guitar player. You know, she was interested in figuring out songs, what made them tick. She was an interested and committed musician and, you know, was was just another just tragic loss. I mean, we're we're being deprived, you know, another artist we lost way too soon. But she was so unique. And I, I'm glad that we got to enjoy a few albums of her work.
0: And, you know, the one thing that you can hear between the two versions is, for example, Amy Winehouse's version she really does a slightly different vocal phrasing mm-hmm. on it where the lead singer of the Zootons, he's very much on the da 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 very much onto the you know uh, very hard rhythm where she's kind of kind of mm-hmm. floating a little bit da 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 you know sort of above it and she's freestyling here and there but he's a little bit more structured like i said Both versions of the song, I love. I think that they're both really, really solid tunes. But to hear the Zuton version, which I was introduced to first, and then to hear that young lady sing it at a party on her guitar and just, and I'm like, how do you know this song? You were probably born in 06, you know? And that's the thing about cover songs, right? We come to them at different yeah, times. Yeah,
1: really. I mean, so, like I, I was gonna use the example when I saw The Who and The Stones for the first time live. They had covers in their sets, and I had no idea about the original song. You know, like "Summertime Blues." The The Who do a wicked cover yeah. of "Summertime Blues." I didn't know who Eddie Cochran was. You know, another really really strong cover band. You know, petty is high on my list, but you too. Um, You know, they flex a little bit on the Rattle and Hum album. The one that really slayed me was um, their cover of Helter Skelter. I had heard that, I think, even before I had the White Album. I had some Beatles, but I didn't have the full catalog at that point. And so it was like Um, interesting interesting to really hear that version first and then connect with it again in the original version with the White Album.
0: All right, so as we dovetail into our third segment, this is our top 10 cover songs. Now, we've been talking somewhat obliquely and maybe not so obliquely at times about some of the songs that ended up on my list. I don't know exactly what ended up on Michael's list. So, Michael, why don't you take the number 10 slot and we'll just bounce back and forth. Yeah, sure
1: thing. This is a, um, a shout out to the band Train. They blew me away. We used to have a San Francisco station called KFOG. Uh, which is no longer with yeah, us yeah great classic station. they used to have kfog these live from the archives that they would release every year and the you know the proceeds would go to bay area food banks mm-hmm. but uh, train was very popular on these live albums and they played at a kfog kaboom show which is a fireworks show they used to have on the San Francisco waterfront every summer and they do the most mind-blowing medley of led zeppelin i was completely floored by this this was back in 04 so it's it's actually a mashup of whole lot of love and ramble on. Pat Monahan, huh. he can channel Plant. I mean, he had maybe not, not the range now, but he did then. So he, he starts belting out the beginning of Whole Lot of Love. You know, way down inside, woman, you need me. Yeah. You know, and he goes, and 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 so you're expecting the drum to come in, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, it's the acoustic guitar intro of Ramble on. And so they just dovetail wow. into Ramble on okay. for a bit through the guitar solo. And then you think they're going to do another verse of that. And he drops in a verse off of Walk on the Wild Side by Lou Reed. Nice. and then they they yeah. they double back to a uh, whole lot of love. It's fantastic. Um, great medley, shout out to train a bit off the beaten path, my number 10.
0: My number 10, you referenced Lou Reed. It's a Lou Reed song on there, Sweet Jane by Cowboy Junkies, but it's Sweet Jane with Blue Moon. Uh, This song not only made me a big fan of Cowboy Junkies, in fact, this was the song that made me want to buy the record, Trinity Sessions. That's the album. And I've bought I believe every Cowboy Junkies album that came out since they're still recording new music. And I think they're planning on touring, but it probably piqued my interest in Lou Reed as well. About a year later after Trinity Sessions came out, so Trinity Sessions came out in 88, Lou Reed releases New York in 1989, which had mm-hmm. song Dirty Boulevard on it. And it just a really solid album. i sold a lot of copies, did really well for him. But that started my interest in Lou Reed. While I knew him from Walk on the Wild Side, I just wasn't that into him. But then when I bought New York, I thought, this is pretty good. I really like a lot of these songs. I wonder what the rest of his catalogs like. So then I go back backward in time and and start listening to older stuff. But at the time, Lou Reed was going through a very – prolific period where he was really writing a lot of new material so he had released a number of new records in from 89 90 91 92 he really had a lot that was released at that point and not all of it was good but a lot of it was so my number 10 cowboy junkies outstanding Blue Moon. um the who
1: still my favorite band ever and my number nine is their elton john cover saturday nights all right for fighting and um, this was That's recorded a for a tribute album to uh, Elton John and Bernie Toppin, a great songwriting duo. And uh, the tribute album was called two rooms. It's just a fabulous spin as only the who and Pete Townsend can put their spin on a record. But what I always love about it, it's kind of a show of respect to one of their contemporaries, right? Um, because right in the middle of uh saturday night they do a breakdown into a take me to the pilot and and as a show of mm-hmm. respect you know elton john covered pinball wizard you may remember um which i i kind of love the back and forth between them and he has a bridge in that version of can't explain so they both did kind of the same mm-hmm. thing for each other but uh that's my number nine is the who
0: and uh saturday night all right my number nine, we've already talked about, so I'll just reiterate it. Mark Ronson and Amy Winehouse's mm-hmm. "Valerie." Like I said, I need the Zutons version from Pace Magazine, but both versions have hit written all over it. You listen to it, you're like, yeah, it's yeah, a hit. It works. That's a hit. It, it definitely so, works. There you go. So uh, my number eight number
1: would eight. be the uh, Jimi Hendrix iconic cover of Bob Dylan's "All Along the Watchtower." I mean, if you go back and listen to Dylan's version, it's just basically acoustic guitar Mm -hmm. and harmonica, bass and drums. It's really simple. Jimmy obviously takes everything to a different level with his electric guitar. And Dylan even has said that he preferred Jimmy's version and the structure of his version to where in later years, Dylan channeled jimmy's version more when he would perform that song live i was just going through my collection i've got versions of that song by dave mason also by neil young and of all people i have a cover of that song by brian ferry my number eight all along the watchtower
0: (laughs) my number eight i've already talked about but i'll just go with the lyric love is a banquet Mm -hmm. which we feed it's patty Smith because of the night from easter by the patty smith
1: group My uh, lovely, uh, better half and I are going to see Bruce later this year. He's coming around and I was, Mm -hmm. I've been looking at the set list and because the night is one of the tunes in that set. So we'll be seeing that version live, but we've seen Bruce, I've seen him six times and he's played that pretty regularly, not every time, but that's definitely a go-to in his catalog. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So, you had to mortgage the, you take a second mortgage out on that. You house know, my wife here.
1: said, um, she said, honey, <laughs> I'm getting old. Bruce is getting old. I will pay whatever <laughs> it costs. I don't care. I need to see my boss. That's there a true go. fan right there. My you're, hardcore you're, Jersey girl. Number yeah. seven. Uh, this yeah. one, uh, this is a little obscure, but um, the blues singer Solomon Burke, who is just fantastic, I have an album of his. He does a cover of the Rolling Stones and I Got the Blues from Sticky Fingers. You know, you're talking about when the Stones really started to come into their own as songwriters and incorporating the blues from all of those influences. I think I Got the Blues is maybe one of their best and most shining examples of just straight up blues. And they just nail it. Solomon Burke just does this brilliant cover. But at the end of the song, the singer is frantic because this woman has got him turned inside out and he's he's singing. He's going, you know, "Uh, look at what you're doing to me. I've torn out all my hair. I don't know which way to turn. I don't know which way to go. I got the blues for you. I find myself crying at three o'clock in the morning and you're out somewhere watching the Rolling Stones. (laughs) It's just so freaking <laughs> awesome. Drop the mic. Solomon Burke, my number seven.
0: Yeah. Okay. My number seven actually is a Rolling nice. Stone song too. It's Devo's Woo. Satisfaction. Now, you talked about this earlier, and it's, it's probably on your oh, list. Yeah. I'm going to guess. But talk about making the song Brilliant. your own. I love the story about how Devo got Mick Jagger's yes. approval- Essentially, release this song and how they had to go and meet with him in New York and play the uh, copy or a recording, mm-hmm. a tape of it. And Jagger's sitting there in the, like this velour tracksuit or something. <laughs> it's two o'clock in the afternoon. He's sort of twirl- swirling some red wine in a glass. And we're looking at him. We're like, he looks like he just got up and it's two in the afternoon. Rockstar. So the song starts starts to play and he's just looking down and kind of not really having any reaction to the song. And then next thing you know, he jumps up and he starts dancing around the room with that sort of rooster crook neck thing that he does. He's like, I like it. I like it. I like it. I like this a lot. <laughs> and so they were like, oh my God, this is great. That means we're not going to get sued by oh. the Rolling Stones for releasing this. They said they had their Wayne's, Wayne's World moment. We're like, oh, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. So but, great. Uh, you never know what what an artist is going to think of a cover of their of their song, especially something so weird like Devo's Satisfaction. But boy, did and they make that one? Yeah. Moment. What a great
1: Such an iconic version. song. I'll save my comments for yeah uh when i i have that one sure. uh which is by the way my number 1 spoiler alert <laughs> sorry to spoil the fun kids my number 6 <laughs> is, is the rolling stones and we would already talked about their cover of not fade away honoring the late right. great buddy holly who sadly left us very young um they released that song about 5 years posthumously and um you know that was right before they started recording their own material so that song helped put them on the map in america um, and that was just before they they released their first tunes, like a year later, The Last Time, Satisfaction, Heart of Stone, Get Off My Cloud, songs like that. But on the mm-hmm. um, Big Hits compilation, the High Tide and Green Grass album, which a lot of people probably have, uh, Not Fade Away is one of uh, maybe three covers on there where they're really introducing their new material. But uh, The Stones, my number six.
0: Aretha Franklin comes in at number six for me, and it's her version wow. of the Rigby. It's another example of it making it your own. This this album that she released came out in 1970. So the Beatles had maybe almost broken up or had just broken up or were close to breaking up. I'm not sure exactly the release date, but it did come out in 70 or at least the month that it came out. But what she did is she reframed the lyrics to change the point of view to the first person. So she starts the lyrics as, I'm Eleanor
1: Rigby. So cool, yeah.
0: I'm a Melina Rigby, and then she just goes with it, and is like, "This is so good." I mean, I can't imagine that McCartney and Lennon didn't hear this version and go, "I wish we would have done something like that <laughs> <laughs> back then." But yes, a great soulful love, rendition of the song. Love.
1: So, yeah, I have an Aretha yeah. coming up here. Um, My number five is john lennon and in 1974 after the beatles broke up he released an album of rock mm-hmm. and covers which is called rock and roll it's a classic mm-hmm. from that era that he's covering the likes of chuck Berry and buddy holly and sam cook but he also does a brilliant cover of fats domino ain't that a shame which is my number five and in 2007 after Hurricane Katrina basically wiped out Fats Domino's home and possessions, uh there was a tribute album put out where all the artists got together. I mean everybody gets together and they record this album called Going Home and they raise proceeds for Fats. And they take John Lennon's version of Ain't That a Shame and it's the first song on the album. It's a double album. Hmm. Uh if anyone loves um Fats Domino, this Going Home tribute album is is Absolutely top-notch. So that's my number five. Ain't that a shame?
0: So my number five is Kate Bush's Rocket Man that comes off that same album that you spotlighted, which was called Two Rooms, where the Who covered an Elton John song. But mine is uh Kate Bush's Rocket Man. It starts pretty standard, but then it becomes Kate's version, really, because she fuses it with Celtic sounds and even a little mm-hmm. bit of reggae. And she does some wonderful layered vocals. And I think one of the things about Kate Bush that sometimes gets overlooked. For those who are really into her music, it doesn't get overlooked. And that's her ability to really layer vocals and do some really great work in the studio in terms of sound production that you realize when she was making these records that it was still primarily analog tape that she was using. Nowadays, with Pro Tools and all this (laughs) computer-assisted digital workstations, you can do a lot of stuff that you just it it was painstaking back in the day her ability to craft a song and produce it in such a way i don't think gets nearly enough credit as it should but yes kate bush's rocket man is my number five
1: that's one of the most original versions of any of the songs on that album and that's a good choice ted and um my number four is tom petty and the heartbreakers is their cover of the Birds, and so you want to be a rock and roll star? The Birds and Roger McGuinn were big influence on that band. When you hear that twelve string electric Rickenbacker sound, you know a lot of that is from the Birds. And the album came out in '85. It's a live album called Pack Up the Plantation. So my number four is uh, TP and uh, rock and roll star.
0: Yeah, I think that was a single. I saw. That. I remember seeing that video so played good. a lot on MTV yeah. back in the day. Here's a video that was played on MTV back in the day quite a bit. It's David Bowie's China Girl. Some didn't know that that was a cover of an Iggy Pop song, but yes, it was. I first heard it on Let's Dance, and then I heard Iggy's version, and as it is... You can tell that Bowie's version is just much more radio friendly than Iggy. And I think a lot of it has to do mm-hmm. with Iggy's voice. But uh, for the most part, uh, China Girl and, and there are a couple of other songs that are covers on Let's Dance. I think he does a, a mm-hmm. total of three that he did not actually write. China Girl was one of them and he did yeah. a great job. on. I love it. that so, album. Yeah. And, and that was
1: really an invigorated Bowie. Right. I mean, he, he, uh, things kind of went oh, sideways yeah. and then he, he went to, uh, was it Berlin or somewhere he was in Germany recording for a while there in the late seventies. Yeah, yeah. With
0: Brian Eno. He had done yeah. a trilogy uh, of
1: albums. Lowe yeah. was one of those and Heroes. Exactly. Roger was a third. I knew yeah. you would know. David Bowie. That's a great call. Uh, my number three, Aretha Franklin and her collaboration with Dwayne Allman and they cover the huh. weight by the band And if you go Ah, back and listen to the Dwayne Allman anthology, which is a a 1972 release, uh, there are cuts from the Allman brothers and Derek and the Dominoes, but a lot of his session work with uh, artists at Muscle Shoals when he was with the Swampers there at Fame Studios. I mentioned the breakthrough with Wilson Pickett. Several years later, he recorded with the Queen and um, you know, Aretha kind of turned the corner musically. The first time she went to Muscle Shoals years earlier thanks to the guidance of jerry wexler and atlantic records and her first hit with kind of the new sound aretha was i never loved a man the way that i loved you and it was all stem mm-hmm. back to muscle shoals but years later um she recorded that version of the weight which is just fantastic with the late great Dwayne allman and rest in peace both uh that's
0: my number three excellent in fact, we're going to put this on a Spotify playlist, so if you're like, I'd really like to hear that, I will endeavor to find all of these recordings. Some of them might not be available, but I'll try my best. Uh, number three, I Can Tina Turner's mm-hmm. Proud Mary. You talked about this one and how much it helped you get into, well, you probably heard yeah, the CCR yeah. version, and then you then you heard the I can Tina Turner version. Who knew that this song could be done as a duet? So great. <laughs> Especially yeah. at the beginning. And I love the tempo change. I just love how it starts slow and it starts to build and then boom, right into this, just this balls of the wall soul version with a full on horn section. Yeah. One of the best in terms of the covers. Good call.
1: Uh, My number two is the aforementioned uh, Hey Jude with Wilson Pickett and Dwayne Allman. And that was one of his first gigs there at Muscle Shoals. And that work on Hey Jude was the breakthrough uh, that led to a lot of other session work there and later with Aretha Franklin and later with Clapton and doing the Layla sessions. But uh, that anthology album includes uh, collaborations with, with Pickett and Aretha, but also artists like Clarence Carter, King Curtis and Bonnie and Delaney. Hey Jude, Wilson Pickett. With Dwayne Allman, my number two.
0: My number two is John Coltrane's My Favorite Things. We talked about this earlier in the episode. It's a 13-minute jazz odyssey with a rendition of a musical classic, you know, Mm -hmm. from the sound Mm -hmm. of music. It starts out very traditional and you're like, oh, this mm-hmm. is pleasant. And then of course it everyone takes their solo, which makes it much more exciting. Coltrane doing my favorite things, in fact. I think with this record, it kind of gave him a bit of a rejuvenation of his career. This was cut as a single. At one point, which is always a mistake, especially if you're taking a 13-minute song where it's a jazz song, you don't want to make it into a (laughs) five-minute single. You're just going to ruin it. But nevertheless, Coltrane's my favorite things.
1: Satisfaction is my number one. By far the most interesting cover of Satisfaction you will hear by any band in the last 50 years. I I just love everything about it. It's so original. It's so jagged and even robotic in some ways. From the very beginning, the drum beat with the hi-hat and the bass line it just establishes a groove that is so completely sideways and different from the stones, because theirs is dun dun dun, dun 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 and the drum is like. Do, 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 do. I mean, Devo does a whole different deal. And one of my favorite parts of the whole song, you know, the original you know, Jagger's like, I'm doing this and I'm trying to meet some girl who who drops in a baby, baby, come back. Oh, maybe next week, because you see I'm on a losing streak. Listen to how Devo takes that line. Right. So it's like, <laughs> I'm trying to meet some girl who tells me, baby, 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 <laughs> I mean, it just keeps going. Right. Da, 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 da. And all the while, that same killer bass line, doo, 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 dude is going, you know, underneath. And then, and then it's just like, he finishes the line kind of in this rapid fire, you know, almost punk delivery. It's just so awesome in, in every aspect. And the fact that Jagger admired and loved it, um you know, makes it all the better, but uh, that is definitely yeah. by far my all time. Favorite, favorite cover is uh, Satisfaction from the Are We
0: Not Men, We Are Devo album. Yes, very good one. My number one is Jimi Hendrix, All Mm -hmm. Around the Watchtower. And you said this, you think that maybe even Bob Dylan prefers the Hendrix version as he kind of used that later in his set, that version or a kind of a version of the Hendrix cover. I remember seeing Dylan at the Concord Pavilion, that's mm-hmm, outside mm-hmm. of San Francisco, kind of an open-air venue. Uh, Santana and Dylan were uh, the two performers, and Dylan opened. Nice. <laughs> people, And Santana was the headliner. Dylan did all along the Watchtower. Uh, Bob's came out, Bob's version comes out in 67, and then Jimmy's cover comes out in 68. I'm not sure if people really do this anymore, that uh, really that they cover a song in short order, like it's released and then the next year somebody does a cover of it maybe takes it in a completely different direction and it becomes either as popular or more Mm -hmm. popular than the original so just to recap let's do a lightning round recap from our 10 to 1 you first and then i'll um, go
1: this one i this one's a little obscure so probably not making the spotify list but train and a live medley of Led Zeppelin and Lou Reed. It's whole lot of love, "Ramble On" and "Walk on the Wild Side." Number ten, uh, The Who. "Saturday Night's Alright for Fighting." Number nine. Your top pick, "All Along the Watchtower" by Hendrix, is my number eight. And I got the blues by Solomon Burke covering the Stones and "Sticky Fingers." The great Buddy Holly cover, uh, "Not Fade Away" by the Rolling Stones. Their cover of Buddy Holly. Number six. Uh, John Lennon, Ain't That a Shame, five, and uh, number four, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, so you want to be a rock and roll star, Uh, Aretha Franklin with Dwayne Allman, and The Weight off of the anthology album, also Hey Jude with Wilson Pickett and Dwayne Allman, number two, and Devo, and Satisfaction, We Are Not Men, We Are Devo is my uh, number one, (laughs) and believe me, I had 10 others uh, that were here ready and waiting. So there's so many examples of great covers and tribute albums, and uh, it's a fun topic.
0: It is. My number 10 starts with Cowboy Junkie, Sweet Jane, Blue Moon. Number nine, Mark Ronson featuring Amy Winehouse and Valerie. Number eight is Patti Smith, or the Patti Smith Group, Because of the Night. Number seven is Devo's Satisfaction. Number six, Aretha Franklin with Eleanor Rigby. Kate Bush comes in at number five with Rocket Man. Number four is David Bowie with China Girl. Number three, Ike and Tina Turner's Proud Mary. Number two, Jazz Odyssey. John Coltrane, (laughs) My Favorite Things. And number one, Jimi Hendrix, All Along the Watchtower. That mm-hmm. was a fun episode. Thank you so much, Michael, oh, it's for great coming to be on and talking cover bands and cover music. Not cover bands, but cover music. I guess some of them are cover bands, I suppose, because they all <laughs> kind of started. Yeah. Cover bands. Okay. Thank you as well, Planet OP listeners, for lending your ears and spending some time with us. Until next time, see ya.